is Terry Bradshaw, quarterback, Pittsburgh Steelers. Touched by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time. And it's ABC's Monday Night Baseball, live from Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts. Fading, looking, looking, looking. He's under the gun. His body throws. This is baseball, Major League Baseball, and this is Mel Allen. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the debut of a big day for us, the Past Our Prime podcast. My name is Scott Johnston. Um, I've got two of my good friends and, and work colleagues for, gosh, well over 30 years joining me, Bill Mahoney and Mark Hoffman. Um, very quick, all three of us have been in the TV sports production business for 30 years at a minimum. We've worked together. We've worked at different stations along the way. I've worked at uh, um, KCAL, KCBS, ESPN, NFL Network, WBZ in Boston. Uh, Billy, real quick, give us some of the stops along the, the way for you. Well, we got KCAL and KCBS, and then the stuff in spring training, all the MLB teams there. I did the Seattle Seahawks shows when they were uh, Super Bowl champions and should have been two-time I've done radio stuff as well and in and out of this country. And now, Mark, what have you done? Absolutely oh my gosh. Mark will be here. Yes. Exactly. Mark, Mark starts before before we had TV. Yeah, exactly. Was, Mark was stage. It was cave drawings. You know, I was the first one yes. that did the sports highlights on those cave walls. Uh, I worked for uh, KCBS, actually KNXT. When it was originally KNXT, KCBS, that really dates me to the early 80s. I also worked for CBS. Well, I, I can throw in, uh, yeah, I was KHJ before right, KCAL, right. so same type of thing. But Mark, weren't you an on-air guy before all of this? No, I, I did about a year and a half. I did weekend sports for the ABC affiliate in Bakersfield. There you go. But I worked for uh, CBS Network 2 on the CBS Morning Show, and I did uh, uh, Fox Sports Net. And I did the Dodger Network when it was Time Warner for two years. Did a one-hour interview show with Larry King and did Dodger games as well, too. Nice, nice. So, yeah, so those are the chops. And I'll probably edit all that out because nobody really cares. But um, <laughs> Just your stuff stays in. Yes, yes. Yeah. i got to put me on top, of course. What you do is you just you keep your stuff in. And then when you go to Mark and I, just make it. Just Dead silence. Yeah. Well, uh, they got nothing. Yeah. I, I went to Astro Burn. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Mark, Mark uh, sorry, you went to Denny's. That's right. Yes. With, That's right. with, with the iced yeah. tea and the glass of ice. Um, the premise of this, real quick, is that uh, the, you're, talk, uh, you're listening to three guys that grew up um, on the, in, in the sports world 50-plus years ago. And you had to kind of go searching for it a little bit more back then. It wasn't the, the, there was a game of the week, not a game of the night. There was no social media. There was, you know, uh, you had to call in certain numbers to get updated scores. Um, you had to listen to KFWB every half an hour to get updates on scores. 
You studied the box scores in the mornings. That's how you knew, you know, who the starting rotation of the Atlanta Braves um, was back in, in the early 70s. And, and, and so all three of us kind of have that same pedigree of, of how we grew up on sports. And, of course, a, a mainstay starting in the 50s and, and going through our childhood, of course, was Sports Illustrated. So we're going to go back and look at old issues of Sports Illustrated and cover sports through the lens of old issues. And we're going to start with the January 7th, 1974 issue with Fran Tarkington and the Minnesota Vikings on the cover. And we'll go through that that issue. I want to start, though, with this right off the bat, page one, first issue we're looking at, and it's a cigarette ad for Winston Cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, that is 1974 i mean right now you're a pariah if you smoke cigarettes right oh you want to smoke go outside you know and and back then page one and i'm sure throughout the, the 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 magazine you know we're talking cars alcohol and cigarettes people forget that you know the cigarettes used to be on television they got banned in the early 70s but i mean some of the great commercials were cigarette commercials i'll walk a mile for a camel um, there were just some great ads, the Marlboro Man, you know. Right. I, I like the Tarrington one. I'd I'd rather fight than switch. And they always show. I think that it's one of the ads, and it's got a big black eye. And I'm thinking, you'd rather fight than quit smoking Tarringtons. <laughs> Dang, you got it, man. He liked his Tarrington. He did. Okay. And someone said you're switching, and then they slugged him in the eye. That's how it works. Okay. Nice, nice. I mean, but you forget. I mean, the Marlboro Man was a was a huge part of our pop culture it was even in seinfeld was it that's what kramer got to do the the, you got to to be the guy up there he didn't look so good no he didn't (laughs) he didn't so uh all right so one of the weekly features of sports illustrated was their scorecard section um sometimes it has things in there that are that are interesting more often than not eh, not so interesting but i just loved this one quote that was there Um, from this issue, and that was from J.D. Morgan, the UCLA athletic Mm -hmm. director on the USC-UCLA rivalry, and he said, if we met in tiddlywinks, everybody in town would want to know who plays left tiddly. And I think that just goes to show you how the the rivalry back then was, not just for USC-UCLA, but but as a whole, and and all these conferences that 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 have switched over the years and stuff you don't get the oklahoma nebraska game these games that we grew up on that were so mm-hmm. uh, integral to college football they're gone now i mean that like i said that's more of a local angle here usc ucla but even that one is not what it used to be well ucla usc yep. used to be the last game of the year and then if they would play the trojans would play notre dame at home at the coliseum that would be after the ucla game if they played them in south then it'd be before but the last you know, five, 10 years, UCLA plays like a Pac-10 game, Pac-12 game, Pac-8 game, whatever it was after USC, which kind of takes away from from that whole rivalry. That's what it was this year. Didn't a UCLA end with Cal? Yep, and they got blown out by yeah. Cal. And several years yeah. ago when they had a good team with uh, uh, Huntley, they uh, beat SC, and then they had to play Stanford the week later at the Rose Bowl, and they lost that game. Yeah. So, you know. Can be a detriment. Yeah, but back then, it was life or death. I mean, it was it was 
all out. Yeah, and think about that. They 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 just as an example, UCLA gets totally up for the USC mm-hmm. game this year, blows them out. It's mm-hmm. not even a, a not close the whole game. And then they the complete opposite to a mediocre Cal team at home the mm-hmm. next week. And you have to think that's because it's meant to be that they finish with USC. And they they just couldn't get up for two games in a row. Um, it just seems, you know, I mean, that's their that's the that's Chip Kelly's job is to get them up for that game. But I don't know. It just seems like when you're pointing, hey, this is the big yep, game of the yep. year. We're playing SC, and you win that game, and you're like, oh yeah, by the way, guys, we got another game. Well, even Michigan, <laughs> Ohio State, you know, they're, that's yes. you know was always the last game yeah. of the year, and then they play a bowl yep. game. But now, after they play the game, they still have to play the Big Ten the big championship game. game. Yeah. So there's always another game afterwards. But at least that's for a championship. Now, when I grew up, I was always, wasn't it the day after Thanksgiving or on Thanksgiving, Oklahoma, Nebraska? That was always the big one. And now they don't even play. They don't even play. That was the game. You thought, okay, these two are going to, you know, the big Midwest, you know, big guy school. And now nothing, nothing. Yeah. Hey, so uh, the big story back then was the championship games. And that was um, in the NFL. The Dolphins were coming off their perfect season. Mm -hmm the only one in NFL history and looking to repeat as champions. And they were going to go back to the Super Bowl because they demolished my Oakland Raiders who were one of the only teams. They, the, the Raiders were the team that ended the, the Dolphins winning streak. They beat them mm-hmm. earlier in the year, but, but not in the playoffs here. Um, Larry Zonka hall of fame running back. Larry Zonka runs for 117 yards and three touchdowns in the 26, 20- I forget what it was, 27 to 10 yes. uh, win over over Oakland. Um, so I thought, you know, th- about that game in particular, Phil Villapiano of the Raiders had a great quote. He said, they were a different ball club out there, meaning the Dolphins. In the first game, they were nonchalant. They didn't seem to mm-hmm. want it. Maybe we were lulled to sleep by that first game. I knew they were going to be tough, but Jesus, I didn't think they'd be able to do that to us. We don't get beat that way. No one runs on us like that, said Phil Villapiano, Raiders linebacker. But that Dolphins team with Jim Kick, Zonka, Mercury Morris, they could beat you any which way. They were so deep. But sort of surprising if you look back to that. They were undefeated the year before. Even if they had lost that first game, you'd still figure that respect. The Dolphins had that. They were able to put it together the year before, and win every game. So I was sort of surprised when I read that, thinking, no, they lost here early, but it was like 12-7. to 7. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then you come back and you think, no, this Dolphin team truly showed up. And Well, if you think about it, that Dolphins team is almost like today's NFL team. They had three running backs, all yeah. capable of starting. And today, you know, you have these committees of running backs. So, you know, Zonka and Kick and Morris would all be like rotating in and out today. But back then, that was unheard of, that one team would have such dynamite running backs, not just one or two, but three of them. And if you could rotate these running backs in there the way they could, it was it was a huge advantage for them. And you didn't throw 50 times yeah, they, a game back then either, you know. They did. 25, they maybe. They threw like six times, yeah. Greasy threw like six times in that game because that yeah. was the remember those were the years when we were growing up where the running back was the man when you got yourself a stud they just pushed it and ran into the, you know first down second down third down that's all they did so it was yeah know. remember when it was a shock to see teams throw yes. on first down yeah 
It was. I remember seeing the Cowboys go, if they're throwing up, you'd be all yeah, excited. They do like play action pass. Yep. Think yep. of that. That was such a part of the game, too. Play action pass because, you know, no teams were in shotgun. They were all, mm-hmm. you know, lining up under center, doing that seven step drop and all that kind of stuff. Ooh. So then we go on to the to the next game. And um, I cry? sorry, Bill. Sorry. Sorry, Mark. But this this one didn't end well for you guys. The Vikings destroyed the Cowboys 27 to 10 to advance to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, one of the things about uh, Fran Tarkenton, who was the quarterback of that team, is he was one of the only players, one of the only quarterbacks that called his own plays back then. Um, or he, I guess actually most quarterbacks called called their plays, but he, he had full control over that offense. Which I guess would be surprising because when you see the – you know, when you look at someone like Bud Grant that looked like he had his hands in everything, that he would allow him to have everything on his own, allow Park Tarkenton to do everything he wanted to do out there in the field. Staubach had four interceptions in that game. Mark, do you remember who, who he threw the four picks to? No, but I just remembered it was after we had gotten turnovers from the Vikings. I was all excited, you know. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm like, I forgot, what, 13 years old. I'm in Hawaii on a vacation with my family, and I'm there watching. The game started at 8 a.m., and I'm watching the game thinking, we're going to the Super Bowl. And then we'd get a turnover, and I'd be all excited, and then Roger would throw a pick, and I'd get all depressed. And then the Vikings would turn the ball over, and then we'd turn the ball over. And in the end, they just they outplayed us. They deserved it that year. Mark, you remember that game, like you said. Mm-hmm. The way the way that I read it was that the Vikings came out and ran plays that the Cowboys didn't adjust to in the first half. Like they expected them to run, they threw. When they expect them to throw, they run. Do you remember anything around like that? If that's what I happened? just remember, they had these long drives. They just controlled the ball, and we just couldn't get our defense off the field, and it was very frustrating. And it was a home game. The game was in Dallas. They were favored to win that game. And they had the week before beaten a very tough Rams team. And so I was very confident they were going to the Super Bowl, but the Vikings were the more physical team and they, they deserved the win. And now to talk about the 1974 NFC championship and much more as one of the greatest players to ever play the guard position in the NFL if I went through his resume, uh, Ed White's resume, we'd be here for the next hour. But but real quick, like four-time Pro Bowler, uh, All-American at Cal, played on the D-line at Cal, then went back to the offensive line in the pros. He did it all. He played for the Vikings, one of their all-time greats, a member of their 25th, 40th, and 50th anniversary teams, then the, went to the Chargers. He's a member of their Hall of Fame. Like I said, I could keep going and going. Ed, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. You're one of 11 Vikings players to play on all four of those Super Bowl teams. What do you remember most about those NFC Championship games? Well, after all the head injuries, not a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, I think the thing I remember most are just the the guys that I played with. You know, I uh, just reconnected with Ahmad Rashad, who was a really dear friend. and we had a ball together. We used to play the electronic football game. And we, uh, one time we played it on the way to the stadium in Detroit and, and Bud kind of flipped out on us. Cause we got, we got excited about it when we scored a touchdown. <laughs> and so anyhow, you know, the, the connection with the guys I played with, I think is the significant part to me. Ed Bill Mahoney here. 
What was it like playing for Bud Grant? You know, I I was so lucky to have Bud as a coach. I've been really fortunate to have great coaches uh, all along in my career from, you know, Don Coriel, probably most recently, uh, to Bud as my first coach, to my college coaches. They just were all outstanding people and uh, great leaders and mentors. And uh, I was very blessed, I would say, to to, uh, have fallen into their – rain and uh bud was uh, i i always compared bud to a great military leader he just uh had that uh, aura about him you know a lot of uh, we all respected him uh, feared him a little bit and uh, you know i just you know he was the kind of guy that he would uh one day in practice he'd come to stand behind me in the huddle and i'd go, I'd go oh boy i so uh, what's up coach he goes uh, your sideburns. I said, he said, what do you, what do I mean? Your side? He says, they're too long. I cut them up to the top of my ears the next day. So, I mean, it, it was, uh, he, he did things the right way. He took care of the players. Uh, we were the last team to go into training camp. So we were fresh for the playoffs. We'd always, uh, feel bad for the New Orleans guys whose coaches decided to beat them up all summer and, and, uh, go to training camp, uh, right after Christmas. And, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was unfortunate, but we did have a, a great coach that uh, understood uh, hydration uh, way before anybody else did. And uh, uh, we had a big advantage because he was uh, obviously a, an ex player, a great athlete, uh, played pro baseball, pro basketball and pro football. And so he, uh, he was on top of things. Let me ask you this, Ed, because we all saw that militaristic aspect of Bud Grant. That's what we saw on the sidelines. When you got past that, was there another side to him that we didn't know about? Oh yeah, he had a he, he was very stoic and and, and uh, he gave that impression. But he was uh, he uh, you know he he was he he liked pranks. Uh, Jerry Jerry uh, Burns, our offensive coordinator was deathly afraid of anything. And I, I rigged up a deal where I lowered a spider on him, a fake spider, uh, during a, a film <laughs> session. And he picked the projector over and Bud just howled. <laughs> Bud, Bud had a sense of humor, but uh, he didn't tolerate anything that uh, didn't benefit the team. Hey, Ed, it's Mark Hoffman here. Uh, I grew up a Cowboys fan, so I just want to let you know that uh, 74 game would be very, very sad. How's that? <laughs> But getting back to you, um, as a blocker, you you blocked for a lot of great quarterbacks. I mean, you had Joe Cap, you had Fran, you had Dan Fouts. Now, Joe and Fran were more pocket passers. Fran, you never know where he was going to go. Did that make it harder, easier, or was or you just blocked the same way? Uh, it made it harder. But it was a lot more pleasant when uh, you didn't have a secure block and he was able to avoid a defender. So <laughs> I, it, I would take the adversity over the, the positive. Uh, he was a great athlete and a great leader. And, uh, you know, we, we won a lot of games with him. Uh, they were, all, all of those quarterbacks were significantly different. Uh, uh, Joe was obviously he was a ex-Berkeley Bear, so he and I, hit it right off from the beginning. And uh, Joe was a, just a tough son of a gun that didn't, didn't, didn't throw a, a, a spiral every time. 
but it got to where it was supposed to go. And if it didn't, he'd run the ball and run over people or run run through them uh, as, as opposed to avoid them. And, and it was a pleasure playing for him. Fauci was just the uh, consummate. He, he was intellectual about the game like Fran was. He knew where everybody was at, all his receivers at, every, at all times. Uh, a great leader, didn't tolerate any uh, screwing around or anything but getting in the end zone. And uh, I, I really enjoyed playing for Dan, too. So I was, like I said, I've been very fortunate to have played for not only great coaches, but the great coaches tend to know who the great players are and they surround themselves with them. Uh, and and that's, that's what creates great teams. And you and Joe Cap had that Cal connection, too. That's right. Yeah, he was a he was a Berkeley Bear, a great bear. We lost him this past year, and it was it was very sad. He was a, a good man. And and I want to talk to you about when you were drafted. You were drafted as a D lineman, and um, they had well, so many great D linemen on on the Minnesota team that they put you back from what I've read back to the offensive line. So I want to talk about what it was like the practices because you were going up against future Hall of Famers all week long as you uh, led up to the games. I imagine sometimes the games you were like, oh, my gosh, thank gosh, I don't have to go up against the my own guys this week. <laughs> well, and that's what helped me grow as a football player was uh, practicing against Alan Page every day. Uh, there was probably, I don't know, not many as quick and as strong and as big as Alan was. So it really prepared me for the best and uh, – so I'm very thankful for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that that helped me more than anything was was playing against and practicing against the talent we had. And, uh, you know, my, my it was uh, quite a transition uh, being a defensive tackle uh, at Berkeley. And, uh, and, and, I, and I was pretty decent at it. And, in fact, Jerry Burns was the – the head of personnel for the Vikings. And he just said he really wanted me to, to play defensive line. And they, they didn't, they needed an offensive guard so bad <clears throat> that I was, you know, put into that role. And it, I, I'm really probably thankful that I was because uh, I would probably be in a wheelchair right now if I'd have played defensive line that long. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah, that transition was hard. So I ended up starting the first – my first game was against Bob Lilly, of all people, <laughs> in my rookie year. And I, I started the first four games of our Super Bowl season with Joe. And, uh, you know, the, the great thing about Joe Cap is he didn't make me feel like a rookie. He didn't make me feel like uh, he didn't have the protection he wanted. And uh, so it, it was it was good. Blocking for Fran Tarkenton. As a kid, when I watched him, he was running all over the field before he threw the ball. How tough was it to block for a guy like that? And how tough was Fran Tarkenton? Well, he's very tough. But beyond his toughness, he was extremely intelligent. Uh, and uh, he knew what the heck he was doing. He didn't just run out of the pocket. He usually ran out for his life. And I think he would stay in the pocket uh, if he had his brother's. But uh, he was such a good athlete, you know, a lot like uh, the Mahones and a lot of these uh, quarterbacks that, that can run. Uh, you know, he uh, had a lot of confidence in that. So he felt as comfortable running the football 
as he did uh, standing in there having uh, – Fran isn't a big guy. Now, he was uh, he was probably six foot, but, uh, you know, and I don't know what he weighed, but he was not a, a big man. So, uh, you know, in those days we had some pretty giant defensive linemen, and uh, I wouldn't blame him for, for running. <laughs> Hey, let me ask you about about Fran and this in this different from today's game. Today's game, the the quarterback is like a run option. Fran was scrambling right. to still look to throw the ball most of the time. Is that not correct? I agree with that, but I think a lot of the times he scrambled because he was under duress. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, he, you know, he he. I think he did whatever he felt he had to do to to make the play a success where there was by more time than the offensive line provided, whatever it was, uh, you know, he would do. We just recently lost Dick Butkus. And I know you as a painter, uh, you actually, one of your paintings involved Butkus, or was it called the Butkus? I forgot. Yeah. Talk about <laughs> your, <laughs> talk, talk uh, about your relationship with Dick and then the paintings. Well, he didn't have a good relationship with anybody he played against, I don't think. <laughs> and uh, but uh, you know, after a couple of years ago, uh, I, I was doing some things uh, out in San Francisco, and and Dick was out there, and we had a, a, a very nice visit, and uh, he was very warm and just engaging, and and I saw a completely different side of him. Uh, and so, but on the field, he wasn't anybody's friend. Uh, we had a Monday night football game and uh, it came down to the final seconds and uh, Fran threw a touchdown pass to John Beasley. We were on about the five yard line. And I literally, after the pass was caught, I ran and congratulated Beasley and Dick grabbed an official and said, Hey, he's downfield. Nah, nah, nah. It scared the guy to death. And the guy called it a penalty on me. <laughs> we lost the game. Oh, and, uh, yeah, and so uh, anyway, I fretted about that, and Bud started the meeting on uh, Monday with that. Uh, he said, I want you guys to make your own decision, and he started with that, and so I felt a lot better after that. Tell tell, tell us, uh, Ed, uh, first of all, your your website. Uh, what's your website? Uh, edwhiteart.com. Yeah, edwhiteart.com, and, and tell us about some of your favorite paintings. Well... I was uh, I went to the College of Environmental Design at Berkeley and studied landscape architecture. So uh, dealing with nature and landscape is probably my biggest love. Uh, but you know, I, I do all kinds of things. This painting behind me is a large commission to, for George Koontz, mm -hmm. and he's been a friend of mine since high school. We played. He played at a at a big school. It was all state at big school. I was all state at small school. Uh, we played against each other. I, Cal played Notre Dame, and we, he was a offensive tackle. I was a defensive tackle, so I played against him. We played against each other in the Shrine game and just became friends over the years. And George, I, I did a painting that uh, culminates the significant things, I think, in his life, uh, being around Notre Dame and all that, and my experiences at, with Notre Dame and with George as a player. And... Uh, so I do those kind of things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't actively uh, uh, market too many things. In fact, I've got about 15 people that have asked me about paintings that I'm just, it's hard to part with. So, uh, yeah. uh, 
just do it for the love of uh, being out here and the love of doing something for people that I, that I, that, that I have a connection with. Hey, finally, you know, people don't think of football players have a gentle side to them. And I guess, you know, the painting is your gentle side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably the gentlest side that I have. <laughs> Before we let you go, Ed, uh, I, kn- I know you mentioned um, the head injuries and, and that's been a big part of uh, you helping fellow NFL players that, that you played against and stuff. Is there any kind of charity or, or organization that you'd like to promote here before we say goodbye? Well, I, I do paintings and, and uh, donate them to the uh, food bank here because I think that, that uh, I think it's a shame that, uh, that we have people from the military, from other walks of life who can't afford housing or, or, or food and are out on the streets. And it's, and I know there's a lot of issues around that. Uh, but regardless, uh, I, I think anytime we can help somebody like that, it's, it's a, it's a, a blessing. And I know, you know there's food banks, um, in every city now and every place. And I, th- I just would encourage people this time of year and this season of giving to, to think about the, the, the people that don't have as much as we do. That's fantastic. Fantastic. EdWhiteArt.com. Check him out. Ed, what a pleasure. Can't thank you enough for joining us. You're, you're welcome. Uh, the next story in, the, uh, in Sports Illustrated was the national championship game. Um, as it turns out, how strange is this? Alabama had already won the, the coaches yeah. poll national championship because they voted before bowl games. I mean, you think the Florida state thing's a big deal this year. How about Alabama who still takes credit for being national champions that year, despite the fact that they lost in the sugar bowl 24 to 23 to the fighting Irish of Notre Dame on a fourth quarter field goal by the gentleman who was joining us now, Bob Thomas, Bob, uh, once again, um, a lengthy resume, and that doesn't even include the football stuff. But um, academic All-American at Notre Dame, played in the NFL for 12 years, and then decided, oh, you know what, this football stuff, I'm going to get my law degree and, and go and become a, a Supreme Court justice in the state of Illinois. So anything else? You want to be an astronaut? or how's... <laughs> Yeah, I wanted a job where people wouldn't boo in front of me anyway. So. Ah, no, they just boo it uh, uh, from home. <laughs> After they leave the courtroom, I'm sure there were a few. Right, right. So, Bob, um, tell me about um, well, tell me about that kick. I mean, uh, as they say in the box in, in the box score, everything looks like a line drive, you know, when when you hit it. Um, but that's about as big a kick as a as a young 19, 20 year old could ever have to take. Yeah, it was um, it was probably the ugliest kick that I've hit and actually went in, uh, in any game. I, I, uh, it, it was a, we played in Tulane stadium, right? That's how old I am. The sugar bowl was not in a dome and there was a lightning storm. The, the, uh, right before the game, actually, I think we were having our pregame meal, rain, lightning, the field was wet. And, uh, actually my holder and good friend, Brian Doherty, who was punter and, and my holder, I kid him to this day, um, every single kick that I had at Notre Dame, he would always come up to me and say, no problem, you know, just put it right through, you can do this, something. And 
there wasn't one kick that I could remember him not doing that, except on that particular kick. And one of the reasons was he dropped a snap uh, for an extra point. And, um, and he said he was only worrying about, I, I kept, he tells me, I said, say it, say something, say, something. <laughs> you know, but, uh, he never said anything, but thank God it went through. And, um, and it was just a great time in New Orleans after that. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Like I said, in the box score, it looks like it split the uprights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it looks in the box score. And, and, it, and it actually did, but not by a lot. So then um, when did you think, hey, you know what? I might be able to play on Sundays as well. Um, that's a good question. They They told me that I should get drafted. It was so different then. Um, there were a lot of rounds. I think there were 17 rounds and I was drafted by the Rams in the 15th round. Disappointed. I didn't go in the first day and Roger Valdeseri, our public relations man gave me a call. Uh, it's funny how, how things become important to you late, uh, later in life. I think it was during the first day of the draft and I get a call from Valdeseri who's our PR man. So I suspect it's uh, where I went in the draft. And he called to tell me that I made academic all American, as you mentioned. And uh, I, that's probably the only time anybody has been told they're academic all American and been disappointed. Right. <laughs> but I, I don't, you know, I, I look at it, it was a great honor, but I think at the time I was the only kicker who could speak English. So I had a, I had an advantage. <laughs> You, you, how do you get to Chicago then? Yeah, it, it was a long route to Chicago. I, I was drafted by the Rams and also by the Jacksonville Sharks of the uh, mm. World Football League. And you've mentioned my age. I'm impressionable 19, 20-year-old. And the Sharks uh, gave me a guaranteed salary and a Datsun 260Z if I would go down there. And one of the reasons Great I did car. is uh, the Rams had drafted me, but they had uh, David Ray, uh, not a household name, but he happened to be the league's leading scorer at that time. And I thought, well, how are they going to keep me over the league's leading scorer? So I went to the Sharks, and, and that was just a disaster. I mean, the special <laughs> teams coaches was the brother-in-law of another kicker they brought down. It, it, I can't even tell you. I mean, we'd go to practice. They wouldn't have socks. It was nice to get the car, but a mistake nonetheless. So, so I end up leaving there, and I go to the Rams, and the first game is against, I believe, the Browns, a preseason game, and it was a strike year. Uh, so 1974 was a strike year. So I was the leading kicker in camp. I kicked a game-winning field goal on, I think, my first kick, certainly, um, certainly the first game. Uh, against Cleveland and you know here I come off a national championship where everybody's carrying me around on their shoulders and Chuck Knox gives me a little pat on the butt on the way back to the locker room there wasn't any hip hip array I figured <laughs> I guess this is the business now you're supposed to make these it's not right. a big deal and uh I I really believe I did outkick David Ray he came back and they were charting every day um but Chuck Knox came in and told me he said you know uh, we're going to the Super Bowl this year, which they did not go to the Super Bowl, but that he thought they were. And he said, Ray had a really good year. We know his pluses and minuses. So I got cut on the last cut, 
And um, I got a call near the end of the season uh, by uh, Don Klosterman, who was the general manager, and he he said they wanted to re-sign me. And I said, uh, yeah, I, I can't kick any better than I kicked then. He goes, no, Ray had a terrible year. We know what you can do. You know, so I signed with the Rams. And uh, probably a week later, I got a call from Carl Morosco, who was the personnel director with the Bears at the time. And he said, welcome to the Chicago Bears. Mm. And I said, that's very flattering, but I signed a contract with the Rams. And he said, no. He said, yeah, you signed it with the Rams, but they have procedural waivers and they couldn't sign you two years in a row without putting you through waivers and the Redskins and the bears picked you up and now you're a bear. Ah. And, uh, and it worked out great in a number of ways. I mean, Jack party was a new coach. There was no allegiance to their kicker, Miro Roder. I won the job in camp, played 10 years, met my wife and I've been in Chicago ever since. That's what we call a, a happy ending. There's a happy oh, ending, right? <laughs> And I want to say this is a Bill Mahoney, Bob. That's a that two sixty Z. That was yeah. man. I loved that car when I was a little well, boy. That was, was the that coolest a great car. Oh my god, I, yeah. I just when Bill, you said I that, I just know. thought, man. I, I don't know if it was worth being with the Jacksonville Sharks though. <laughs> I, maybe not, but man, when you said that, I just stopped thinking. I remember seeing those as a kid, thinking. That's what I want. If you have one of those, you're super cool. Yeah, you should have said, I need the car, but I need socks as well. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I, I think it's in my book. I have, I have a book, uh, uh, Bob Thomas, uh, A View from Two Benches. And, uh, and I think it's in that book because I do talk about the, the Sharks. But they had, a, as I told you, a special teams coach that was um, – brother-in-law for this guy i think grant guthrie who they <laughs> had in camp and we had to go through some tackling drill and this guy runs into me harder than i thought he should have and he picks me up and he said hey i don't know you from adam but that little guy over there who was the special teams coach said <laughs> he told me to try to hurt you and i thought oh this is a nice start and then I, and then i kicked and and uh in a game and Two guys on the line. I mean, I've, I mean, sometimes you see kicks blocked, right? And a guy gets his hand up and he gets in like two yards or somebody comes off mm -hmm. the edge and they make a nice play and they block the kick. This guy in the paper the next day wrote, they, they didn't block anybody, like in the <laughs> middle. I, I could have – they were at the ball. The, the defensive linemen were at the ball before I was at the ball. <laughs> And there were two block kicks, and I, you know, th that was not going to work out there. <laughs> so this is where your smarts really came into play. You you were able to see that this was not going to going to going to end yeah. well. Yeah, I, I I figured that you know the the best thing that could happen is in that situation was every kick I try gets blocked because they're already fixed, and the worst thing is that one of these guys actually kills me during a tackling <laughs> drill. So it was good to get out of there. Yeah, I think you made the right call. <laughs> so you end up in Chicago. Yeah. By all accounts, uh, you're there for, for a long time. What was it, nine, ten seasons? Ten years, yeah. Ten years ten in seasons. Chicago. Uh, seems to me that the, the biggest kick you had there, I'm sure you had many, but the one that sent them to the playoffs in New York, which was, once again, weather was not your friend that day. Tell us about that oh. kick. Terrible. Uh, I think that um, I think Paul Horning actually did, you know, one of the uh, broadcasts and said it was the worst field conditions he ever saw. We did a walkthrough the day before it was about 55 and sunny. 
but the field that day, you know, you've all been there where there's like a crust of ice and then under it about two or three inches of ice water, you know, that broke through and snow it was snow and sleeting. Walter was going for the rushing record and, um, Certainly, uh, uh, he would, it would be tough to make it on that particular day. The thing I remember, I remember a couple things about that kick. You know, you, we a tie would do us no good. We didn't get to the playoffs unless we um, won. And again, it comes down to someone who did something wrong on an extra point that this time wasn't me. It was uh, the, uh, there was a punter, the punter on the team, Bob Parsons, good friend of mine. He was also a backup tight end. So he was on the end and, and he missed a block and there was a extra point blocked. So it was nine to nine and, and we're in sudden death overtime with time running out. And it, and he knew that he had missed this block and it was because the game, that's the reason the game was tied. And it was interesting, the different reactions of people. I remember Mike Phipps came up to me because they knew it would come down to a kick. Mike Phipps came up and he said, hey, you can do it. I know it's tough out there, you know, but just do it, concentrate, be confident. And I got two or three of those kind of comments. Other people knew I wanted to be alone with my thoughts. Parsons, as I said, was a punter, but also a tight end and a lot bigger than me. And this is absolutely true. He picked me up by my shoulder pads and he looked at me and he said, if you don't make this blanking kick, he said, I will break your neck. <laughs> and he put me down and I looked and, at and, it right And before. Bob got a job as a motivational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're close. I actually looked at it before I ran on the field and I said, you obviously weren't a psychology major at Penn State. <laughs> hey, so we, you made the made kick, the, so maybe he's got. We made. I made the kick. The my mom and dad were in the stands. I'm originally from Rochester, New York. Two yeah. things with my mom. One was that you know she couldn't watch at the end, and she ran into the bathroom, and somebody comes in, and we're we're in the Meadowlands, we're in New York. Some lady comes in, and we won, we won, and. She thought, "Uh oh, my son, because I had I had like everybody else. I mean, I made a couple, but I missed a field goal and one went through my holder's hand. So she thought I was going to be the goat and she was feeling bad. And then she found out that lady happened to be Jack Pardee's wife, who was saying we won, we won, who was our coach. Mm. Um, I remember um, Roland Harper and uh, Walter Payton making snow angels uh, in the snow. Uh, before we be, before that, it, it was just it was really exciting. Hey, hey, Bob, I'm looking at the all-time Chicago Bears scoring leader, and I see Walter Payton at three, but then I see right behind him this guy named Bob Thomas. Yeah, I had made it to one what? at one time before I got cut the what? second time by Ditka. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of pride though do you take from that? You know. Um, People do mention that at different times, right? A storied franchise. Uh, it was a lot of fun to play. I mean, things were so different. Every once in a while, we'll have an alumni event. And it goes back to, you know, how much fun we may, we had. And then we would get around to saying we would have settled for a little less fun and a little more money, right? Because we, we didn't have free agency in those days. And you know, you would play with these guys six, seven, eight years. And um, so it was, 
it, it was, you know, it was an accomplishment. I remember when I, when I became the leading scorer, I still have a picture of it. The ref giving me the ball and the scoreboard saying became the leading scorer of the bears. I think that was great. Um, the only other quick thing I just remembered about my mom that I was going to tell you after the game, she told me, I knew you'd make that last kick. And I, <laughs> I said, how did you know, mom? And she said, because I was praying to St. Jude. And I thought, oh, that's nice. Until I found out that St. Jude is the patron of hopeless cases. So, <laughs> so I thought, oh, well. <laughs> she tried. Hey, it worked. Hey, hey, yeah, Bob. it worked. Hey, Bob, what was it like playing with Walter Payton? Oh my gosh. I mean, I have, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to a Super Bowl. They drafted Butler, uh, in 84. I had my best year in 84 actually. And, uh, he played 10 years, did a great job. I was in San Diego in 85, but a couple things like after the last preseason game, you know, I had played 10 years with Walter Payton. We were pretty good friends. And my wife tells the story that, he came out of the locker room, made a beeline for her, uh, you know, because we knew the one, you know, we hung around, hung out together and he hugged her and said, he's going to be here. And I did have a, a good camp. You know, it was just that I was fighting a, you know, fourth round draft pick and all that. And, and having been in the league 10 years. So the ne- next day, just to give you a little story about Walter, the next day I get, go to uh, the locker room and, you know, you're told to bring your playbook and you know what that means. I didn't have a big playbook as a kicker, but I, I knew it meant I was going to get cut. And I went up and, you know, sat across from Ditka and, and he was, uh, you know, he, he never, Iron Mike never looked at me. He just fumbled a pencil and eraser and he said, it isn't fair and it isn't just, but we're going with the young guy. So I was, not ready to go down in the locker room and say my goodbyes to the team. I was pretty broken up. You know, we had been to the NFC championship game the year before. And, and I, like I said, I had my best year. I was rated among the top two or three kickers in the league in 84. And now, you know, I'm going to be packing my bag. So I'm broken up. I went down, I wanted to stay in the upper offices for a while. So I went down to Kennyville, this area, Roger's son, who was our PR guy at the time. And, he said, I want to tell you something. And he was, he was teary eyed too. And he said, uh, I got here this morning and the, he said the lock, the locker room wasn't open and Walter was at the door and, uh, he said he wanted to get in and, and he said, Hey, I want to know if Bob Thomas made the team and he, Kenny was the PR man. He knew, but he said, I, you know, I can't, I can't tell you. And he said, well, you did tell me. So he went in, I'm in the upper room. I wait you know, till people are in meetings at nine o'clock. So I waited till about nine twenty before to go to the locker room. I thought I'd get a chance with somebody. So I wanted to pick up my shoes and I thought there'd be time for goodbyes later. So I get to my locker and Walter Payton, you know, in my opinion, the greatest football player of all time, he is sitting on my shoes in my locker. And, uh, you know, I guess I wasn't smart enough to realize that maybe if Walter was late for a meeting, he, he might still play on Sunday. So uh, he took me outside. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, we sat on these railroad ties outside the equipment room door. And for 20 minutes, the, in my opinion, as I said, the greatest football player of all time buried my tear soaked eyes in his chest. And for 20 minutes, 
he told me what a pleasure it was for him to have the opportunity to play with me, a broken down kicker. He did that for 20 minutes. And, uh, so I don't have a Super Bowl, but man, I have that memory. Yeah, Probably you my do. Greatest, sure thing. Greatest yeah, memory that's amazing. Pro. Yeah. You know, we just spoke with, um, Ed White, um, the long time, <laughs> yeah. long time offensive lineman whom I think you cross paths with, uh, both in San, San Diego, Diego there at the end. San Diego, yeah, great and, lineman. 85 team, and, and, yeah. And, and Ed said basically the same thing, that all the accolades, all the Pro Bowls, all the all-time leading scoreless, it's the relationships that you yeah, guys absolutely. make after, after all these times. And you mentioned, the, you know, uh, before we started this, the 50-year reunion you have of the Notre Dame. I mean, those are guys that you met when you were a teenager that you're still in touch with. It, it's the people you play with that you go to battle with um, that are that are give you the memories that you can talk about later on. Yeah, I can't. We, we just had that reunion during the Southern Cal game, which was the best game that Notre Dame played this year. And uh, I can't tell you how much fun it was. I, I mean, there uh, – I, I don't know how many, but there were a lot of players that were back, you know, with wives. Um, and they had a, uh, you know, kind of a cocktail party the first night. And then they had what they called a tailgate, although it was inside. And that was fun. I mean, we uh, we just relived the old days. Um, but it was also very emotional. I mean, with people that when they were there, I didn't really think they were that emotional. They had the captain speak, you know, Dave Casper couldn't get out much more than I love you guys. You know, part of it was the nostalgia. Part of it was, you know, the bond that we had, uh, people kind of revert back to how they were when they were 19 or 20. Um, part of it was realizing you're getting older. I mean, you know, 50 years walking on the field, you know, you, if you walk on at a 15 year reunion, you know, you, you know, the odds are you've got a few left, right. but at 50, you don't know how many you have left. I had the particular pleasure of, um, one of the things that era said, the reason that we won the national championship, I, I don't, you know, those counterfeit rings that Alabama wear for. 19 for the 1973 uh, national championship you know they, those things are uh i don't know how much they're worth but it can't be much so anyway um we one of the reasons we won according to eric Parsegian, was the chemistry and one of the things he pointed to to illustrate the chemistry was that we would um it started out with like jingles on Friday before the game about the other team. And then it, it elevated to like songs that everybody knew and we would change the lyrics. And um, Doherty and I, since we were punter and kicker, didn't have to stay on the field the whole time. So we would go in the locker room and take an hour uh, get out of the cold and we would write and it would be off. We would be on the offense. We, and then there'd be the offense, the defense and the prep team would come up with these things. And then era would judge who had the best. And since they thought it was just the time that we would come up with these great songs, but our, they didn't know this until this reunion because I had to come up with one and, and sing one for them. But they, um, it was also the fact that my brother was a freshman who was a thespian and started, he was in plays and he ended up on the main stage of second city. 
So we would call him up and, uh, and, and he would write these songs for us. Right. So, I mean, it was all, you know, fixed. I mean, we had, we had the best songs. (laughs) We'd win just about every week unless Hera wanted to throw somebody a ball. So the one of the uh, guys on the team who was running the reunion, Joe Alvarado, he calls, he said, Bob, can you come up with a song? So I call my brother 50 years later. And I said to him, Hey, you got to come up with a song lyrics. I said, how about something to yesterday? And he goes, you know, and, and he still writes and he was a professor and he's a lawyer. And he says something like, you know, this is, this is kind of like asking Rembrandt to paint by number. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, that's fine, but will you do it? I'll give you credit. So he, he comes up with the lyrics and we did it to yesterday and I'm the one who had to sing it. These guys at the last minute, these other guys, they bailed out. Uh. And, you know, I had, I, I take guitar lessons. I had my guitar teacher do a little rendition and then I sang the thing and, uh, I did give him credit before there was a coach up there before and he started talking about the chemistry and he says at the end, he said, but I love you guys. He said, even Thomas and Doherty, even though you always cheated on those songs, <laughs> right? At the re- and I, I got up, I was up right you know, after that, the last one up and I said, coaches, and you don't know how prophetic you are. I said, I, I said, yeah, we cheated, but you don't know how bad. And then I had a chance to give my brother the, uh, the credit and sing the song. Nice, nice. Full. That's called the circle of life. But people loved <laughs> it. I mean, they standing ovation, cheering. But yeah. it, just to get, there were funny lines in there. But there also were, you know, the whole nostalgia thing. That's sure. why I brought it up. I mean, yeah. it just it was beautiful. And that kind of stuff you just can't replicate. It, it, there's no. something about certain teams that just have that kind of specialness to them. And and when when everything is aligned, that specialness can end up in a championship as well. So I mean, you're talking about a dream team. Yeah. Oh yeah. Is there any lessons though that you learned from all those years of football that helped you as a, a Supreme Court justice, as a judge? Yeah, it's interesting that you would ask because um, I mentioned my book, and they're putting the. Uh, it's been out a little while, but they're putting it on, you know, their NFL newsletter, and and the the lady who's putting it on asked just the same question, and so I had to think about that even today. Um, and and what I wrote down was, I hope it makes sense. Um, you know, I've been on. I said I've been on the. And I'll, I'll expound on what I said there. I, I you know, I've been on the in the Chicago Tribune for both winning and losing games, right? And I think that that perspective, knowing that, it brings about a certain humility, right? I mean, there, it, it, there's no other way of looking at it. And as such, I think the danger that occurs with judges or people in power generally, right, is they people say they're people in power and, and they think about the authority and the power rather than the responsibility. So what I told her was that that whole situation in the NFL and kicking footballs and being successful and also failing at times, you know, helped me to realize that the fabric of the robes are really woven with responsibility, right? Not power. Um, And so I think there is that carryover. I had my moment in the sun uh, as far as Chicagoans, we're going that are 
much greater in the athletic realm than they are in the, you know, the judicial realm. And um, so I, I really didn't take myself too seriously, right? I, you had a job to do. It was a great job. Uh, you, you know, your job was to be fair. It's a pretty good job description, right, to be mm-hmm. fair? Yep. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so uh, I, I, I've been blessed to have two great careers. And, and, they, and they do in at least that one sense, uh, that and, and probably the general being under pressure um, and having to deal with pressure regardless of whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the pressure of an opinion or the pressure of a kick. And there's some carryover there as well. You're also a member of the Academic All-American Hall of Fame, um, which, mm-hmm. is, which is pretty awesome. But as, as a NFL player, I don't know what year, but you decided to, to go to law school while you were still playing in the NFL. That had to be very difficult to um, juggle the two. Yeah, I, you know, I, again, my brother comes into play here. He was three years behind me at Notre Dame, and – he had attended, he was attending Loyola Law School, and, and the dean of the law school at the time was a guy by the name of Bud Murdoch, who used to, her earlier in his career was a professor at Notre Dame, uh, at Notre Dame Law School. And uh, he uh, he went to my brother and said, I, I want to, he wanted to meet me, he told my brother he wanted to meet me for breakfast. So I went to breakfast and and he said, you know, I've been reading in the paper for the last three years that you were with the Bears that someday you may want to go to law school. So, you know, what's up with that? And I said, oh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll apply this off season." And he said, no, you'll apply this season. You're just procrastinating. So I had to go to Jim Finks, the general manager. And he said that in most cases he would not give his approval but for a kicker, he thought it was better not to think about what you did the kick before or the week before. So he said yes. So I went. I took as many as ten hours during the season, um, and then most of my hours were as a day student in the off season. And um, and so, yeah, I ended up going, and I graduated in the normal four year time frame, and I passed the bar the first time, <clears throat> which shows that people put a lot of uh, self-imposed pressure on themselves because, you know, my classmates were studying 12 hours a day and I was in two a days in camp just getting permission to go take a test for two days. You were looking for socks. I was not going to. The Bears had socks. We had to pay for them, but the Bears, no, not really. That's fine. That's fine. No, not really. (laughs) But, uh but yeah, so I ended up going to law school, and then I started practicing law uh, in the off season. We didn't go to the playoffs all that often, so the off season was fairly lengthy. And um, when I was practicing with this lawyer once, and he told me that he thought I was always looking at both sides of the case, and he thought you'd make a good judge. And I ran for judge in '88, and uh, six years on the circuit court, and then I ran for the appellate court in uh 94 and then six years on the appellate court and then 20 years on the supreme court three years as chief so those were the two careers now i'm at a law firm power and rogers my son's at the law firm um and uh still doing a little practice in law yeah you must look in the mirror and be like man did i did i i had quite the life 
Oh, so, so blessed. I mean, God blessed me. I, I mean, I even go back. I don't know if my book is a, my life is a, one for a movie, but my dad certainly was. I mean, just thinking how, you know, the sovereignty of God and just what he puts in front of us. Um, my my dad's dad, he never knew his dad. He, he died when he was six months old, I guess. My dad was born in Paris, went to school in Italy, was a great soccer player. His mother wow. didn't have any money, and so he was in Mussolini's camps. His brother escapes to France during a soccer game, and they say, hey, if your brother will come back and serve in our and our army will let you go to America. He comes here when he's 17 years old, meets my mom. I mean, I, I mean, sports played a big part in in my life all the way through it, even as to whether I was going to have life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I say. I say, hey, I don't know if my life is worthy of a movie. My dad's is. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and just being raised, you know, by uh, two, I'm like first generation friend and Italian, um, blue collar, uh, um, wasn't on scholarship at Notre Dame, but my parents did what they had to do to let me go that first year. And then I ended up getting a scholarship, obviously, when I became a starting kicker. So just truly, truly blessed. I mean, you know, uh, not making the Rams, but ending up with the Bears, meeting my wife, three beautiful kids, nine grandkids. I, I mean, I, it's it's great. It's been truly blessed. I've been truly blessed. I'm I'm looking at when you were you were named circuit court judge in '88, basically just a couple years after you quit playing. So I'm just a regular guy, but I would think all of a sudden in Illinois, you're a football hero there. How did the other people look at you? And was there ever anyone that thought, "Hey, let's 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 test the football player guy"? What'd you what'd you get when you went there? Yeah, it was. That's a good question. It was a two-edged sword, right? Because um, certainly there was name ID and recognition, which helps in any election. And, and I was elected. But that first race, I ran against um, two sitting associate judges, which is the l- lowest level, then circuit in Illinois. And they were you know, they were popular. And so I was, uh, scrutinized when I got on the bench, but, uh, you know, they, and so that was the other side of it, right? You, they were going to, a lot of people were going to say, Oh, you know, he's just a football player, but you know, they have bar grades and everything. Bar associations came out with ratings and stuff. And, and, uh, People like the job I was doing, and I think probably I was under greater scrutiny than some as a result of that. Um, but as I said, the the whole name ID and the Chicago Bears was uh, was helpful. That's I, one quick story about yeah. that. I'm just remembering yeah. this. Yeah. I went to a political function, and uh, I I it was out in the one of the suburban counties, and dutifully I go in there and I. This was for the Supreme Court race. I, I put my little walk card with my bio on it, every butter plate. There's about 500 people attending this political event. So I stand by the door and I'm shaking hands as people come in. And this old guy comes up to me and he said, you Bob Thomas? And I said, uh, yes, sir, I am. He said, were you a circuit judge for six years? I said, yeah. He said, now you're on the appellate court in Elgin? I said, yeah. And he, and he said, uh, you want to be the next Supreme Court justice from the second district? And before I answered, I thought, I said, no, 
he doesn't have a walk card in his hand. I don't know how he knows my bio. He's not a relative. So I said, well, what, is, what difference does it make? So I said, oh, yes, sir. I said, I want to be the next Supreme Court justice for the second district of the state of Illinois. He took a step closer and he goes, you're the guy who missed all those field goals for the bear. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I looked at him, right? You want every vote, so I'm not mad. I looked at him and I said, well, sir, you must be very pleased now because I'm no longer the Bears kicker. And he said, heck, I was pleased then. I'm not a Bears fan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Very good. Very. You good. can't make this stuff up. <laughs> no, no. Hey, Bob, we do this thing. It's called 50-50, where basically I give our, our guest a 50-50 shot at a question from 50 years ago. Oh, wow. And normally it's a pop culture question. Like I give you the option of music or movie or TV. But I thought in honor of you actually being drafted by the Jacksonville Sharks. Okay. That you never played with them. I'm going to give you a World Football League trivia oh, question. 50-50 shot. All right, I'll try. True or false? It's true or false. You got a 50-50 shot on this. And if you get it right, you get nothing. You get a pair I of know. socks. Yes, and if you get it wrong, you get nothing. <laughs> oh, good. good. We'll get us some Jacksonville socks. Yeah. So you get drafted by the Jacksonville Sharks. True or false? The following year, they fold and are now renamed the Jacksonville Express. Oh, man. Fran, they, they did fold because I had to, and I don't even know if I ever got that. I think they owed me 10 grand when I left or something. I don't know if I got that. I can't even remember. I think I got part of it. Fran Monaco, the owner, they did fold. Did they continue? I'm going to say true. It is true. They renamed themselves the Jacksonville Express, and in typical fashion, they folded within the year. Terrific. <laughs> <laughs> So when do you send me nothing? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's on its way right now in the mail. Yes, yes. we'll fat. FedEx it to you. That's right. <laughs> All right, I'll hey. be looking forward to not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let me know when it doesn't come. <laughs> hey Bob, I can't thank you enough. This has been so fun. Um, uh, a lot of fun. We're just getting started here, trying to figure it out, and so for you to come on and do this uh, with with Mark and Bill and I has just been uh, so kind of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and good luck uh, going forward with this uh, your your next career, which is going to be a doctor, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to attend med school. I, <laughs> you, you already <laughs> are practicing medicine. I, I think I'll be 97. <laughs> So, if you guys want to see me then. Perfect. Perfect. We'll be that back for the 50-year anniversary of when you were. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it very Thanks, much. Thank, Thank you. you. A lot of fun. Take care. Oh, man. Wasn't he great, guys? Oh, man. You just... he, we could have kept going with him for another hour easily. Yeah. He was great. What, what a life he led. It's just incredible. All right. So, there we go. There's that's the, So, that's just the football portion of, of the SI, right? They have the two NFC, uh, the uh, NFL championship games, NFC, the AFC, and then the national championship game, um, which, by the way, was Era Parsesian in Notre Dame and Bear Bryant for Alabama. I wanted to ask him about that. Did yeah. he have a chance to be around yeah. Bear Bryant? Because in a lot of ways, the coaches overshadowed the game. Absolutely. So I was going to ask him, but, you know, hey. Yeah. Okay, going ahead, uh, there was another story in there about a coach in 
college basketball. Nobody put it this way: they had not only never heard of him uh, at uh, nationally. He was at the University of Detroit. Mm-hmm. That in the headline they they told you how to pronounce his mm-hmm. name. Okay, it was mm-hmm. not Vitale, it was Vital. And of course, now in the sports world, he is a household name, Dick Vital, um, one of the game's greatest ambassadors, who's been having some health issues of late. But um, I just thought that that was great that. Um, you know, no one knew who this guy was back then, rightly so. And, 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 you know, people forget quite a good college, college coach. Yeah. I mean, um, everybody knows him as this broadcaster and I bet you 80% of the people have no idea he was ever a coach before. And he, he coached at the university of Detroit for four years before becoming their athletic director. And he had a winning record every year. And that final year he coached, they went to the sweet 16, yeah, 78 and 30. So 78 and 30 yeah, yeah. in his four years with a 21 game winning streak. So yeah, he, he turned that program around. And then he became athletic director and then the Detroit Pistons hired him, but that didn't go as well. He got fired there and then he did the broadcasting on a whim because he was going to look for wait for his next coaching job. And that whim became a decade, 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 decade long career. And you won't find anyone who has ever worked or been around Dick Vitale that can say a bad thing about him. Um, the only other thing I'm going to mention, unless there's something, Billy, you got something? Yeah, I just want to go to the, <clears throat> the for the record. They announce one guy that now is a big name, but at the time it's just sort of throwaway. The Dean Beeman naming yeah. the second commissioner right? of the PGA. Now you read that back in those years and you go, who? Who spells their name with an E on the end when it's Dean? Right. But you look at it. He introduced the Players' Championship concept, formed the senior PGA, Ben Hogan tour, now the Corn Ferry Developmental. That was just their developmental league. And from 1974 to 84, he grew the assets from 400,000 to 260 million. Just a teeny little throwaway story in the corner of the magazine. Yeah. It's amazing. Back 50 years, you can look at this and go, oh my gosh, look how impressive some of these people have turned out to be. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm going to end the cast with this because. 1973 was a really big year for a, lo- a lot of things. You had the Dolphins wrapping up their their perfect season. You had the Billie Jean King Bobby Riggs match, which, you know, by all intents and purposes, a huge um, uh, day for for women's rights and sports. But to me, the sports story of the year in 1973 is Secretariat and yeah. and the Belmont Stakes, yeah. which even now, 50 plus years later, is I mean, I watched that video, and it, it's it, it's like a video game or something like that. I mean, it's still so thrilling. And to just see this unbelievable horse do what no horse has done ever since then, um, I just thought was emblematic of, of that year and, and just what a special – and horse racing back then was such a big part of the sports world. It is no longer. Was the Belmont the race where he where she was so far in front that you couldn't see the second horse? I watched so that like because of – lengths or something. Yeah, I yeah. watched that, Mark, just because Scott said it. it was, it's absolutely amazing. They're, the two horses are together, right. and then like Secretary goes – He's like the Usain Bolt. He's just like, yeah, see ya. Yeah. And just, it's yeah, absolutely Yeah, for about half amazing. the race, he's he's leading, but he's neck and neck with this other horse. And then he pulls out to a lead, and then he just says goodbye. So speaking of saying goodbye, 
That's going to wrap up our, our first uh, episode of the Past Our Prime podcast. Billy, thoughts? You know, the thoughts are Ed White and Bob Thomas were absolutely fantastic. If we do these interviews every day, this is that's mm-hmm. absolutely unbelievable. What, what great guys and what amazing stories from both of them. Yeah. Mark? I, it was the, the guests were fantastic. I mean, I, they, they went great. The only problem with these guys, Scott and Bill, other than that, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are trouble. Yeah. And, and I would agree. I mean, I thought Bill did fine. Mike, you were, yeah. you were, yeah. not, you know, you weren't what, what we were hoping for. Hey, next week, uh, uh, you guys may have heard uh, of this guy on the cover of the January 14th, 1974 issue of Sports Illustrated. Julius Irving, Dr. J, and nobody knows Dr. J more so than a guy who covered the NBA for years and years and years. His hoop du jour column in the New York Post was must-see or must-read every week. Peter Vesey will be joining us to talk about Dr. J and so many other things of the ABA. He was the beat reporter for that Nets team, so that, that should be a lot of fun. Um, and then um, we got a guy named Bill Sanders coming in, and he's going to talk to us about this guy named Bud Goody, who started a computer analyst program that would pick football games. Now everybody does that. Uh, that they, they have multi-billion-dollar industries that do that. But this guy was one of the first to use computer uh, analysis and data to pick football games. Uh, we'll talk to him. Looking forward to that. Bill, Mark, Jeremy, until next week, this is the Past Our Prime podcast. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good week.